I want to say this before I say anything else. I'm not contagious, but I've been sick all week. And so you have to forgive me some things. My, my brain is confused. And so Katie got here this morning to put up the computer, and I said, the sermon's Isaiah 11. And she said, good. And then beautifully, Isaiah 11 was read to us. But that's not the passage that I'm preaching on. It's Isaiah 61. And I'm so thankful that the passage that I, my brain said had something to do with Advent. It wasn't just random. Wow, that's funny. So you need to open your Bibles to Isaiah 61 and pray for me. You can hear it in my voice. Pray for me as we work through Isaiah 61 together. So what I'm going to do, since we haven't heard it yet, I'm going to read the whole passage. Then I'll pray, and I'll invite you to pray. And we'll get into it together this morning. It's Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me, clothed me with garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we... Invite your spirit to work on our hearts. This is your living word. And so we know as we come to it, it has authority, your authority to shape us, to shape our minds, our imaginations, our hearts, our desires, the way we live and think, Lord. So would you do what you only can do and transform us 
Make us more like Jesus as we meet with Jesus this morning. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Isaiah 61 begins with someone saying, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. In Isaiah's prophecy, to have the spirit of God, it means to be invaded with his presence and full of his power. If you have the spirit of God, you can accomplish the will of God. That's from Isaiah's perspective. Who could this person be who's telling Israel, when I come, I will have the spirit of God with me, in me. I will be God coming to you with his power. Who could this be? Two other figures in Isaiah's book have already appeared that have, have been said to have the spirit of God. You've heard the question, right? Maybe you've asked it. Do you want the good news or the bad news first? Isaiah didn't ask when he wrote his prophecy. He just gave the bad news first to Israel and to Judah. He opened his prophetic word by just explaining to the people of Judah that had turned to the, they had turned from the Almighty God that judgment was coming, was going to come on them for their rebellion. They, Israel and Judah specifically, had been instructed in the ways of righteousness by the covenant that God had told them, this is how you will live for my glory in the world. But they had failed the covenant. Even though they had been loved and chosen, called out from among all nations to be God's special possession, to be his priest, to tell the whole world about his love, they had rebelled against God. They had turned from him. They had worshiped idols. They had made compromises with the covenant. God says to live this way. The world says to live this way. We're going to live this way. And so Isaiah, just in the opening chapters, he tells Judah, for our rebellion, everything we love, this city that God has given us, this temple that's filled with treasures, your home, it's all going to be taken from us because we've walked in unrighteousness. But then in chapter 11 comes some good news after the bad news. In chapter 11, these broken people who are stuck in unrighteousness, who have just heard this word of judgment, Isaiah says, a Messiah will come. A Messiah will come and rescue you. He will be the anointed king of God. He will delight in the Lord. He will live in righteousness. And he will rescue all people that come to his light. There is a redeemer coming. That's the good news. And this Messiah is said in Isaiah 11 to have the spirit of God resting upon him. Well, how will this Messiah figure accomplish this great work of redemption for the people of God? He will give his life as a suffering servant. By wounds inflicted on him, to him, all who come to him will be healed. This is in Isaiah 42. After a whole bunch of more judgment, Isaiah 42 opens with a suffering servant who will come and make everything right for God's people, who will give his life as a ransom for many. And this suffering servant is said to have, what do you think, resting upon him. 
the Spirit of God resting upon him. Now, once again in Isaiah, the same figure who is both the Messiah and the suffering servant speaks again as the anointed king. And he says, I have the spirit of the sovereign God. This comes at a crucial moment towards the end of Isaiah. Because Isaiah 55 closes with this good news of the suffering servant. And in fact, it's such good. He's going to come and redeem you, but there's going to be a little foretaste of his redemption. We're going to go home. That's what Isaiah says. We're going to be judged by Babylon. They're going to take us, but God is gracious. They won't oppress us forever. And as a foretaste of the ministry of the suffering servant, we'll get to go home. That's good news. But then there's more bad news. Picking up there, all the way up to chapter 60, Isaiah tells his people, these people of God, he says, when you return home, you need to keep justice. You need to love righteousness while you wait for the salvation of God. While you wait, live in righteousness. But he tells them, you will fail once again. Your leaders will fail you once again. This is Isaiah 57, 58, 59. Unrighteousness will be a problem still. He says, it'll be like you're blind. Chapter 59. So once again, after that bad news, here we are. Chapter 60, chapter 61. Here comes some good news. God's mercy will not fail you. Even though you turn from God, he will turn to you. Even though you fail to keep your promises, he will keep his promises. This is in Isaiah 60. And Isaiah tells them such a great work of redemption is going to occur in Jerusalem that all nations will come to see it. And you will, redeem, you will be redeemed forever. Your situation is going to be changed forever. He tells them unrighteousness won't be a problem anymore. Covenant faithlessness will no longer be an issue because you will be radically changed. That's, what I, that's what's going on when we hear the anointed one say, the spirit of God is upon me and he's anointed me. And this is how this great change occurs in Israel and in Judah. Think about it. Their whole lives have been plagued with unrighteousness. Their home was taken from them because they failed the covenant. And they're, they're going to return home, but they're still going to struggle. What gives? What's going to change? God is going to change you. That's what, he's, that's what Isaiah tells them. And here's how it's going to happen. The rescuing king and suffering servant. He speaks and he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. There's going to be good news for the poor. And what we're going to see is it's news of transformation, of going from this to this, of going from mourning to gladness, from brokenhearted to healed. That's what's going to happen. This is the good news for the poor. This is the final note of this prophetic symphony. And it's one of just powerful transformation for all who come to the anointed one.
where God will no longer let our unrighteousness, our sin, our failure to snatch us up. Something is going to change. And then we read on the way the grammar works here in the Old Testament text in chapter 61 is everything we see going first one, two, three, it's explaining what it means to be poor. There's good news for the poor. Well, who are the poor? The anointed one says, he has sent me, God has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called. Think about how good this would feel to Israel, to Judah, to hear this. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. These words, brokenhearted, uh, mourning, those who have a faint spirit, is describing poor, what it means to be poor. Old Testament theologian John Oswalt answers this question, who are the poor? And he does it well, I'm going to quote it to you, and I know when someone says, quote, you have a tendency to be like, yeah, space out. Listen carefully to this. I'm inviting you to listen. He says, the poor are those who are so broken by life, they have no more heart to try. The poor are those who are so bound up in various addictions that liberty and release are a cruel mirage. The poor are those who think that they will never again experience the favor of the Lord or see his just vengeance handed out against those who have misused them. The poor are those who think that their lives hold nothing more than ashes, sackcloth, and the fainting heaviness of despair. It's to these types of people that the Messiah comes to serve, to suffer for, and proclaim I have good news for you. Things are going to change. Poverty vanquished. Heartache healed. Liberty for those who are held in chains. Freedom from darkness and confusion. Favor instead of wrath. Vindication for those who are broken. Mourning will turn into dancing. The anointed one will give you a headdress instead of a pile of ashes. That's nice. Instead of bitter tears, he will give you rich, sweet oil that will be replaced. Those who have been plagued by generation upon generation of rebelling against God, of eating what he says not to eat, will be restored. And everything that humanity fallen in sin has ruined, God will repair. This is good news for Judah, who's wondering, how can the tides of unrighteousness change? God wins. And this plague of unrighteousness ends. A transforming king will transform the people of God. This is the gospel message for Israel, held captive by covenant faithlessness. But is this good news for you? 
for us who look back to Isaiah thousands of years later. Did any of these descriptive words resonate with you? Maybe where you are now, where you have been recently. Have you ever felt impoverished? Have you ever had a broken heart because of wickedness done to you or done by you? Have you been held captive, unable to break free of harmful patterns in your life? Have you felt blind or confused by lies spoken over you or to you? Have you sat in a pile of ashes and felt like every ounce of hope is gone? Maybe you stumbled in here this morning thinking, has God finally given up on me? Well, the anointed one is still speaking. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He's the light of all nations that restores us. He remakes what is destroyed. He transforms what is ruined. He can heal this morning. He can heal broken hearts. He can set you free this morning. He can bring favor. Verses 5 to 9, the anointed one then tells the transformed community, those who receive him and his ministry, he tells them what it will be like for them. And I read the verses. I'm not going to read them again. I'm going to try to summarize as quickly as I can, verses 5 to 9. Israel finds out in these verses that the good news of transformation is not just for them. It's for all nations. Anyone who comes to the light will be transformed, will be changed, will be brought into an everlasting covenant, secured with God forever. From all nations they will come. And it even says they will bring their wealth and their influence with them. And what that means is whatever God has blessed them with in his grace, as they come in to know and become the people of God, they'll say, God, this is yours now. You take it. Do with it what you will. Do you understand that? Their influence will be given over to God. Their, Their resources will be given over to God. A key word in these verses is in verse 6, the word priests. In Exodus 19, God tells Israel, hey, I have called you out. I've saved you from bondage, called you to myself because I want you to be to me a kingdom of priests. Do you know that's why you were made? To be a priest of God. To declare his glory in the world. To live for his glory in the world. That's why Israel was made. That's why they were called. And he told them in Exodus 19, you will be to me a kingdom of priests if you can obey the covenant. Well, they couldn't obey the covenant. They couldn't be who God made them to be. But here in Isaiah 61, 6, he says, when the anointed one, when I transform you, you will be priests. You will be who I made you to be. So they will be priests. We find out in these verses that God's people will be from all the earth, will fill all of the earth. Their descendants will be known as blessed by God. Not only that, restored Israel, both faithful Jews and faithful Gentiles, will rejoice in the portion of the Lord. It will be greater than they ever imagined. And God, the anointed one, will write a new covenant, an everlasting covenant that he will protect 
and keep, and everyone in that forever. This is the covenant that God will be their God forever. He'll never let the power of sin or Satan or death consume us again. That's what he says to the transformed community. That's what it's going to be like after your hearts are fixed and your mourning is healed and I give you a headdress instead of ashes. This is what it's going to be like. You'll be priests for me and the world. And then in verse 10, it's as if the people respond using the word I. You see verse 10? You have your Bibles, right? I didn't ask, but your Bible in verse 10, I will greatly rejoice. That's as if these transformed people, it's like you and me responding to this good news. What do we do after this work is achieved? What happens? What's the only response? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to grow up, to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. This is what it looks like after you're changed, transformed rescued by the Messiah, who's the suffering servant and the anointed one, you rejoice, you exult, you get rowdy and you celebrate what God has done. That's what's happening in Isaiah. What's not to celebrate? This is good news. And Judah, listening to Isaiah, was invited by faith to look out Awaiting an advent of this anointed one. They were invited to look out in faith, believe, and rejoice. Today, you're invited to join the celebration of that work accomplished. This finished. You're invited to look back and rejoice and to celebrate. You're invited to change poverty to riches. I'll explain that in a moment. Exchange heartache for wholeness. To be freed from prisons and chains. You're invited into the bounty that is the year of the Lord's favor. That means canceled debt. The year of Jubilee, canceled debt. You're invited to live debt-free before God. To be made into a tree of righteousness and to become who you were made to be, a priest of God, declaring his glory and his love. You see, in Luke 4, we learn that much of this was fulfilled in Jesus' first advent when he himself took Isaiah 61, not 11, he took Isaiah 61 and he opened it to where we are studying. And here's what happens in Luke 4. Jesus has just come home from Nazareth. He was on a preaching tour, and he came home. He went to the synagogue. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. I'm in verse 17. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to pro proclaim good news to the poor. 
He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus says, I'm the anointed one from Isaiah. The Messiah who comes to redeem, the servant who comes to suffer. Jesus came into the world, born of the Spirit of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And in the power that only God has, Jesus ministered to the poor and the outcast, the destitute, those on the fringes, those cast out of community, those who were weighed down by their terrible decisions. Jesus touched lepers. He met with notorious sinners and he lifted up the poor. And today we who are called by Christ, chosen by him are to have eyes and hearts for the same types of people. We should aid the poor offer support to the brokenhearted, give sacrificially to those in need. Yes, give alms a thousand times. There's an alms basket, two of them out for you. But this is not all that Isaiah wrote about. Isaiah and Jesus, when he takes Isaiah's scroll, they're talking about more than just not having money. They're talking about redemption. Redemption. And for us to receive the good news found in the anointed one who's been sent to us, we have to recognize that no matter who we are, whether we're physically rich or poor, we are all without the intervening love of God. We are all desperately hopeless and infinitely poor spiritually. We're in the same place as Israel, unable to enter into relationship with the Holy God because of our sin, our rebellion against him, our rebellion against who we're made to be, our rebellion against our neighbors. We are poor because of sin. It's sin that has broken us. Sin has enslaved us. Sin has blinded us. And only those who mourn their sin and recognize I need a savior can enter into the good news that the anointed one brings. Remember those descriptive words in Isaiah 61. They're explaining what it means to be poor. Isaiah's used all of those words already in his prophecy. I'll give you an example. The same word brokenhearted. It appears in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6, like right off the bat. I mean, chapter 1, yeah, chapter 1, verse 6. And that word brokenhearted there, it explains the festering wounds caused by sin. The word mourning. It's not just generic. In Isaiah 57, that same word, it's used to describe the mourning that sin separates us from God. Isaiah tells them, you will be made into oaks of righteousness because in chapter one, he told them, on your own, you're like withering trees dying under sin's disease. And so what Isaiah is talking about in chapter 61 is redemption, rescue from unrighteousness. The anointed one comes to establish righteousness amongst his people by obliterating the ravaging power of sin. And those, both Jew and Gentile, who are brokenhearted over their sin, 
mourning that and who acknowledge their sin are invited to be transformed. The people in the synagogue listening to Jesus in Luke 4, you remember, right, they doubted. Could Joseph's son really be the presence of God coming amongst us? And Jesus says something really interesting in response. He points them to a story in their own history when a messenger was sent from God to his people and his people refused. They said, you know what? We don't need your message. Thank you very much. And then the messenger went to another nation, to a widow. And she received the message and was blessed. Now, Jesus is sharing that for a couple reasons, but primarily he's telling them, He's saying to them that to receive his good news, his redeeming ministry, you have to acknowledge you need a savior. My sense is too great. The rebellion that lurks in my heart is too strong. I need to be transformed by someone else. And Jesus is the one, the only one can save. He's the spirit-filled Messiah that rescues and the anointed servant that suffers Though Jesus possesses all the riches of heaven, he became poor and was laid in a manger. Though he's perfect in righteousness, he became broken for sin, for our sin. Though he's never committed a crime, Jesus was exchanged so that a criminal could go free. Though he is the healer, he became wounded for our transgressions. Though he is the comforter for those who mourn, he mourned for sinners and even with sinners. Though he is robed in glory, he took upon himself our ashes and sorrow. Though he deserves all all praise, his spirit became faint within him unto death, even death on a cross. Though he is the righteous branch of Jesse, he withered and died on a tree. Though he is the fruitful Israelite, he was buried in a garden that we might become the fruitful vine of God. Though He keeps the covenant. He shed his blood to write a new covenant. A covenant of total forgiveness of sins. And though we all deserve the day of vengeance, Jesus took our place on a cross to bear the full wrath of God. So Judah, they wonder, how can this cycle of unrighteousness stop? And the anointed one says, I'm going to give you a gift of righteousness. I'm going to give it to you so you don't have to earn it. I'm going to give you my righteousness so you can have it. Look at verse 10 one more time with me. We're almost done here. I will greatly rejoice in my ability to achieve righteousness and really get things right this time. And I, my soul shall exult because finally I kept the law. I got it, God. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I will regret, rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in my God. Why? Someone tell me why. Look further in the verse. For he has done something. He has clothed me 
with garments of salvation. He has covered me in a robe of righteousness. Down at the end of verse 11, the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up. He will do it. Look at the verse 3, the end of verse 3. That he may be, we may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Advent joy is found in the gift of righteousness. That Jesus, the righteous one of God, would come to us and give us himself. That we could be brought into an everlasting covenant that's dependent on him and what he gives and not us and what we give. We are living between the initial fulfillment of Isaiah 61 and its final complete fulfillment. You noticed, right, when Jesus rolled back up the scroll, he stopped, right, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and he rolled the scroll back up. That's because when he came in his first advent, Jesus came to destroy the power and penalty of sin in our lives. But the day of vengeance is coming. When judgment will fall. And in that moment, all, all types of mourning, brokenheartedness, poverty will be destroyed and be gone forever. But as we wait for that day, we're called to live out of the gift of righteousness given to us. So here, to live in righteousness, to live a life for God's glory, you must know by faith the righteous one. Don't leave here this morning thinking Chandler told me to leave and do more better. Here's what I'm telling you, listen. To reflect the glory of, the God, of, glory of God in the world, the glory of Jesus must be the light that fills your life. Let me say it again. To make Christ known, you must live by faith to know Christ. In this way, his life infuses us and it is his righteousness, that oak of righteousness that comes out of us. Some of us this morning are brokenhearted or chained in prison because of sin in our life. Maybe hidden sin. Based on this passage, knowing that God wants to transform you and call you in this Advent season, if your life feels like it's in ruins and you're ready to mourn your sin and give it to Christ and be transformed, I call on you, avail yourself to the prayer ministry that happens back there and get real with God. Hey, I'm a sinner. Here's the issue. Change me. Give me oil instead of tears. Some of us are hurt and broken this morning because we struggle to believe the assurance that God wants us to have. This morning, I want you to be assured that Jesus' righteousness falls on you by faith, and then you are brought into an everlasting covenant. Some of us have a broken heart or heaviness. We feel these words because of lies spoken over us or to us. I want to remind you this morning how much God loves you. He loves you so much that he has done everything necessary for your rebel life to be totally changed and to become a child of God. And then walking in this light this morning, you are called, each of us are called to stand as priests in this city, in our families, in our neighborhoods. Does anyone know that you are the blessed of God? Have you ever told anyone, I am the blessed of God because he gave his life to save me? This Advent season, I invite you 
Tell your neighbor, listen, I'm blessed by God. That they might know and minister to them his love. Finally, it's time to rejoice. In verse 10, rejoice is a verb. It's an action. It's something you do. Okay? Joy, joy is a state of being. Rejoice is an action. It's time to do something. To rejoice in the gift of righteousness. Sing, shout, dance, smile, high five, fist bump someone. Celebrate this morning. Celebrate this season. The gift of Christ given to us. Now, let's pray. Father, I just pray that the, whatever is truth and worthy of praise, worthy of you this morning that has been said would find its way into our hearts, each of us here. And that even now we could sense in our being that you are causing growth and fruit to sprout up. I pray that the, the righteous life of Christ would wash over us once again and we would we would know that we are loved and redeemed by faith in the greatest gift that is Jesus. And those who have broken hearts and who are mourning, Lord, do your work of healing this morning. Keep transforming us from one degree of glory to the next, that when you come again, we will be found acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name.